0: Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 29 with adventure racer, mountain bike racer, and one of the most badass females I know, Rebecca Rush. This episode was brought to you by Toad Co. This awesome outdoor company out of Central California, which, by the way, was named one of the best places to work by Outside Magazine, makes 90% of their clothing using eco friendly materials, whether it's organic, plant based, or recycled fabrics. Their products are also designed to go from the trail to the tavern, which is a huge bonus because who likes changing in multiple outfits when you're having a good time? One of my favorite programs they have is called Design for Good, where they take a portion of every single item they sell and put it towards exposing people with disabilities to life-changing trips in the outdoors. Their mission also aligns perfectly with having a wild idea worth living. and Co. is all about inspiring people to live life to their fullest They're rabid supporters of following your passions and refusing to settle. They also promote real people doing good work. Check out all the amazing products, missions, and ambassadors of all abilities they support at toadandco.com. They call her the queen of pain with a heart of gold. As a professional athlete for over three decades, Rebecca Rush is a seven-time world champion, and she continues to shatter the glass ceiling in whatever sport she tackles. She's got a first female ascent rock climbing, El Cap in Yosemite. She's riverboarded, which is basically boogie boarding, down the Grand Canyon. And she's beaten most men in endurance mountain bike racing. Beyond that, she's just an all-around positive person. She's got her own book. It's a bestseller called Rush to Glory. She has her own events. She's a motivational speaker. She's a firefighter. And she's a huge cycling advocate. She's raised over 100 grand for bike-related charities, and she's raising even more money now. Most recently, she has a new film by Red Bull Media House called Blood Road. It is an incredible movie that documents Rebecca's personal journey along the 1,200-mile-long Ho Chi Minh Trail in search of her father, who was shot down in the Vietnam War. It's an incredible movie. I hope you get to see it. If not, at least listen to this podcast. I got to meet Rebecca at an event called the Outfound Series. She met me at my little hotel room by the river in Hood River. She's such a sport. This is easily one of my favorite podcasts ever. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right, today we have on Rebecca Rush on Wild Ideas Worth Living. So excited to have you, Rebecca. Thanks for coming to the Hampton Inn in uh, Hood River for Outfound Series. I like your studio, it's really nice. <laughs> we were just joking because she's at a hotel that's maybe a little haunted <laughs> down the road, teasing you. So I loved your movie last night. I know you're on this whirlwind tour. If you get a chance, go see Blood Road. And we're going to get into that. But before we do, first, I wanted to ask you. You went mountain biking today, yeah, on Hood River. I did.
1: Oh. I went and did a trail called the whoop Trail. Oh, I love that um, name. Yeah, and it was it's just like it sounds, like, woo, you know, you're super stoked the whole time. And I've really, with this intense travel of a foam tour, been trying to make a point of riding my bike and running and actually being outside and for my own mental health, not necessarily for training because I'm not getting a regular training schedule, but makes me happy. I show up to work better if I've gone out and gone on a bike
0: ride. So actually, I want to talk to you about this because what I love about you is most of the people that are like uh, athletes are a little younger than me and you're a little bit older than me and you look young as heck (laughs) and you're fit as F and you're beating the guys and this woman Didn't last week you beat pretty much every guy at the mountain bike race? All but one. All but one. I was
1: second overall and the guy in front of me was just a
0: minute out. I was like, oh, I couldn't quite get him. That's insane. So do you have like morning routines that you stick to or just routines that that keep you young, fit and uninjured? I, I do
1: and I... Right now in the middle of a film tour and travel, I feel like I'm really starting to understand the people who work all the time and have to squeeze stuff in because I've had the luxury, you know, of a fairly open schedule. So when I'm at home and I have a little more time, my morning routine is, you know, get up. I have a couple of rules, water before coffee um recovery drink before adult beverage after racing <laughs> and I try to stick to that in the morning is drink a lot of water um as much water and then hit the coffee stretch usually a little run with the dogs um they're great for getting me out in the morning and then uh yeah, and then I get into some emails, some work. Um, but I really do try to and even on the road, I'm trying to maintain doing 10 minutes or so of yoga slash stretching, um, a few push-ups in the hotel rooms. I'm traveling with a the little Theraband thing just to try to, you know, not let everything slide while I'm traveling so much. And I am making a point of traveling with running shoes and uh if it's a hotel gym or my mountain bike has been meeting me all these places through a company called bikeflights.com where I'm actually, my bike is meeting me at all these different hotels, which is amazing. Wait, can you,
0: can you tell us about that? Bike yeah.
1: Flight? So I, instead of traveling on the airplane with my bike, I send it ahead of me. Um, takes a couple days. And so I have two bikes, uh, circulating the country right now, (laughs) leapfrogging to the film tour. So when I arrive at my hotel, it's there. Um, and then I pack it up and send a call tag and then bike flights picks it up when, you know, the day I'm leaving Mm -hmm. and it's, it's pretty great. I think if I, if I had to carry my bike on the plane, I'm one, it's expensive to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just kind of a hassle getting through the airport. So this just streamlines everything for me and it's been essential that's a like really good mental too. health and physical health is having the equipment that I want in the places that I want.
0: And then just when you're not on the road, I mean you are in excellent shape and you look really young and and you're beating everybody. Like what is is it that you've just been doing it since you were a little girl or
1: I think in ultra endurance sports there's definitely you know you can look through the record books and the differences between male, female and even um age those are minimized the longer the events get. And I think like some of the long, super long distance swimming records are held by women. And so I feel like the playing field gets a lot more equal the longer that you go. One, because the physiology women are are built for ultra endurance. Uh, But I also feel like the mindset is different and that women are just really good at being patient and not going out too hot, you know, at the beginning of a race and, and sort of physiologically, I'm not better than, than all these guys or people younger than me. I think part of it's experience and for sure your mindset on ultra endurance events.
0: But as you've gotten older, it seems like you've just gotten better.
1: I've gotten more efficient, I think in my training. So I know it works for training if I only have an hour. Um, and I also have the confidence of knowing, Hey, I've ridden 100 miles before. I've ridden 200 miles. Like I've done this before. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to hurt, but you have the confidence of knowing you've been there before or I've crashed before or this happened. And so you start to gain a library and a wealth of experience to draw back on and and that's that's a lot of confidence and skill that comes. And, you know, there's a quote "Is youth is wasted on the young. And it it absolutely is. It's like, oh, if I knew all this stuff now and I had this experience now in my 20s, oh my gosh, what could I have been able to do? But, um,
0: yeah. When when did you decide to become a professional athlete? Because that, that's a wild idea, you know, and and people on this show have all had wild ideas. You've had a million wild ideas. But how did you know that that was sort of like what you were meant to do? i
1: I've never known what I was meant to do. And I actually still, there wasn't a point I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a professional athlete. It's more a point of, oh, I want to go do this adventure. How can I make that happen? Or people invited me to go rock climbing. Oh, can I make that work? And that included living out of my car. I was asked to join an outrigger team and it's like, oh, can I do that? And so I've not, I'm not a good planner. I've never had a five-year plan, 10-year plan. I've never said, I'm going to be a professional athlete. This is how I'm going to get there. I'm going to do steps A and B. I really have just sort of not been flying by the seat of my pants, but, um, making choices based on what I felt like doing. Like, I feel like a big kid all the time. It's like, if I want to go out in the backyard and play, I'm going to go do that. Or if I want to, like, as a kid, I would camp out. If I want to camp in the backyard, ask my mom permission. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And it's kind of been the same with these adventures and Blood Road and the Ho Chi Minh Trail was the same thing. It's like, I kind of want to do that. And I found a way and So it wasn't a plan. I'm going to be a pro athlete. And I still, when I write that down, when you fill out, they're like profession, like when you're going through customs or whatever, I kind of laugh when I write down professional athlete because it really is just happening. And I believe I can look back to the steps and I believe that if people choose, a lot of people ask me this question and, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And and I didn't know, but I think if you choose based on passion, that there always is a payoff. And if it's something that feels exciting and you love it and you, there's something in you that's like, I kind of want to do that, then you should find a way. And it will pay off in the end, even though initially living out of your car, not having health insurance, not making any money, doesn't seem like it's paying off in those moments. But now I can look back and people like, oh man, you like had
0: it all planned out. And I didn't, I just follow kind of some general guidelines. That's really refreshing to hear because I think I myself included, I'm like, what the hell am I doing every day? And I, I keep taking these opportunities. I'm like, I should have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. And now I kind of do, but I don't really like it. Like, I'd rather just make choices based on what comes. So I think a lot of people resonate with that. And and I was going to ask you about that. You know, making money in a sport that doesn't get paid, adventure racing. It's yeah. sort of like being a journalist Um, in some ways. <laughs> you know how it sounds like you've made it happen by also being a firefighter. A little
1: bit. And, uh, I was climbing guide for a long time. I was a part owner and manager of some rock climbing gyms in California. Um, you know, I've, I've waited tables. I, you know, and, and I am a part-time firefighter and I did have a backup plan when I started getting in my thirties. And so it's like, okay, I can't just like wing it so much. I probably should get health insurance. And, and the fire department, um, was the backup plan. If this sports thing didn't work, you know, I was going to go get my paramedic and, um, you know, get a quote unquote real job. That was like the realest job that I was looking for. And, and the sports thing has panned out. And I think the way I've been able to make money doing it is just seriously by like sheer grit and perseverance and kind of pushing my way in where, you know, going to sponsors and, and, being like oh well i can write you know a blog or i can do this and this was before blogs were even anything it was like being creative of like okay well how can i make this work and i've always looked at sponsorships as what can i give back you know can i do clinics can i do women's rides instead of oh just give me a payout cuz of who i am i've never felt that way and so it's been creativity and just really kind of perseverance and pushing my way
0: <laughs> pushing the door open I think it's just so cool that you're on Red Bull because that whole movie is not something I expected. When I when I think of Red Bull movie, I expect I think of like a mosh pit and punk rock and just feeling like completely amped when I'm out of the theater and wanting to go surf or run a million miles and I think of dudes mostly or giant waves and this movie was just beautiful and it was feature length and it had a message that it was your story, but I imagine that every single person who sees it is going to come up to you and say, Hey, that's my story. It was so universal. So I thought that was really cool. Can you just maybe, because I want people to go see Blood Road. It's so good. Can you tell us a little bit about how it came about and, and maybe just kind of one thing you learned from making the movie that you didn't expect?
1: Um, well, I mean, for people who don't know the synopsis yet, it's, it's my journey down the Ho Chi Minh trail through Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, about a 1200 mile trip um and that trail or network uh was the supply route during the Vietnam War for the north to supply the south and uh my dad was shot down over the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Laos in 1972 and it's taken a lot of years for this idea you know I'm I love ultra endurance riding I love expeditions I love maps and planning and so it really is kind of has come together kind of the culmination of all my skills as an athlete came together on this ride with this idea to go find my dad and and go do what I know how to do which is ride extremely long distances and just go see what I could find out there and it really did start as just kind of a unknown expedition and I was excited to go to a part of the world I'd never been to But, I mean, it's become so much more. The journey is actually still really continuing with this film tour. And I knew I would have an amazing expedition. You know, I knew it would be emotional. What I didn't expect was to actually come away from the trip feeling like I have a new purpose to my riding. And, like, it wasn't – people like to say with the death or visiting a, a grave or anything like that, and they've said about this trip, oh, it must have been closure for you, And it's the exact opposite. It's been an opening of, one, getting to know my dad, getting to know my living family better, getting to know me, and then really understanding what's next with my career. And I feel like it's his inheritance to me. It's his gift. He brought me there to be like, this is what you're going to do next. And for the first time in my life, I know what I'm doing next and I've never had a plan. And so I came away with this amazing, you know, lightness and happiness and relief of finding him, but also excitement
0: of, okay, I'm, my dad's given me some instructions. It's such a beautiful film. I cried. I think there was a (laughs) lot of wet, wet eyes in in the theater. I think one of the things that stuck out with me one is that you did it with someone who was a local and it added such a beautiful perspective. And I can't wait till she sees the movie because whoever gets to interview her afterwards is it's just going to be awesome. But also the, but that there was this element of kind of magic in the movie where you sort of let the universe just do its thing. And obviously there was tons of challenges. I, I don't know how you guys didn't get completely sick. And I was also thinking the fact that you're an EMT and a firefighter must have completely paid off because you're going through gnarly water and through caves and if you didn't know first aid or I mean you could have been in serious trouble. But but then the fact that you were able to well I'm not gonna give it away, but there was just this element of magic. Can you just and, and also there was one line where you talk about you'd never had a sense of home a lot of your life living out of your car, but that you sort of in a way found it. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about this sense of home and why it's important or why not and maybe talk a little bit about this magic that happened.
1: There definitely was trail magic and it's continued to happen even after getting home from the trip, meeting people who served with my dad, meeting, you know, the pilots in the second plane, um, people that, and connections that have just happened, um, organically. It's, yeah, it, it is karma. And I, you know, I do believe our world is connected in a way that we can't explain And there were too many things that happened on the trail for it to be coincidence. I really do feel like my dad's been bringing me there for a long time to show me and teach me and include me in the recovery of, of, you know, scars that are still left from the war. And yeah, it's, it's a, it was a magical trip. I don't even know how to explain it. And it really opened my eyes to pay attention to all those little things that happen to us every day. Like you think, oh well, that person popped into my head, or how strange that, you know, that person called while I was thinking of them. And if we actually listen to those little weird things that happen that we think are coincidence, I do believe that we're we are all kind of communicating with each other. Um, we're just
0: not always listening. Is that something you were in tune with before the trip or something? Because what you do requires a lot of pushing through, mm-hmm. going through pain, not listening to these voices sometimes. Yeah. So Is that something that sort of developed or it's always been there?
1: It's always been there. And I feel like that's the the part of my father that has always been there, but it's been undernourished. You know, we're all half our mom, half our dads, our parents. And it's. I think about when I got home, nature versus nurture. And, you know, the part of my mom that is very independent go-getter type A that has served me really well and been very nurtured in my life of having to be independent with a single mom and go after it in my career. Um, the more sensitive side that I know of my dad, of being a musician and traveling, and he lived out of his car for a while too. Some of those are, as a as an athlete, you're right. I, you push down those softer, more sensitive size of yourself. And I feel like this trip has allowed me to let those come out and they've always been there, but it's allowed me to listen and hear and see another side of myself that, that I haven't developed as strongly and maybe needs a little more attention. And I think that's, what's interesting about the film is you see that. And, you know, my nickname's the queen of pain and people accept this, expect this really hardcore person. And what they see in the film is, is the other side of me that, um, you know i have pushed down for a long time and it's it's refreshing to let that out and just be who you are and not have to be you know super strong all the time
0: i loved it i thought it was such a like a i thought it was such a beautiful movie for a woman it wasn't like a girl movie it wasn't a guy movie it was just a universal story but i thought it was just beautiful that you showed your sensitive side and you're this tough badass chick i loved that part i loved all of the movie if you get a chance bloodroadfilm.com. Is that correct? It is. And and now you're doing, from the film, you have this new mission Mm -hmm. to clean up a lot of the UXOs. First of all, when did you get back from the trip? About two years ago.
1: So it's been, it feels like a blink of an eye, but yeah, we've been back two years. It's been in editing and now we're, this is the next part of the endurance. The biggest endurance event I've done is this film tour. Yeah. And you're just starting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to keep going. So
0: how can people sort of get involved and and buy one of these awesome bracelets? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So
1: one of the biggest surprises when I came home or while I was on the trail is discovering all the unexploded ordnance that's still there. I had no idea that most of Laos, Laos is the most bombed country per capita in the history of our world. And the numbers are kind of staggering. And the, the, rural people are still living with it every day and people are still being killed and injured every year. And I was shocked to find out that our trash is still there and still affecting daily life. And that was probably the most moving part for me, you know, one of the most moving parts of the trip. And I came back thinking, well, what can I do? I have to do something about this. And so I launched the idea of, um, I took, a bike group back there um, that fundraised for Mind's Advisory Group, MAG, which cleans up in Laos. Um, this film tour is fundraising for it. And then I've also partnered with a company called Article 22. Again, another serendipitous sort of thing. Found them. It turns out they have been for about five years um, making jewelry with Lao villagers um, from bomb scraps that are cleaned up by Mind's Advisory Group the local artisans make the bracelets and the jewelry. Um, and then Article 22 has, sells them. And so we partnered with them to make some custom bracelets for the trip with, as my dad signed all of his letters, Be Good. And so we have Be Good engraved on the bracelets and um, written in Laos and English in his handwriting and my handwriting. And those are traveling along with me. And it feels really good to be to be doing something with my reach as an athlete with my cycling to close the circle of, you know, and speed up the recovery. The estimate is that at the current rate of cleanup, it'll still take another hundred years to clean up Laos. So, so anything from this film tour that is fundraising, it all goes in my dad's name and goes directly back to Laos. And
0: the bracelets are awesome. I'm going to get yeah, one. Yeah, they're cool, huh? They're so cool. I have a question about writing the film. I saw Mark Anders was part of it. Yeah. And he, he's a good guy and a good friend were you part of writing it and also did you have the letters since you were a kid or did you
1: the letters came the surface my mom's been saving all this stuff until we were ready and you oh. know so i didn't know these letters were there and we heard some of his music but i hadn't really heard his voice until i heard that recording and my mom's been patiently waiting for us you know for me to dig it out and so the letters and all that stuff um really surfaced as part of the film tour research before we went. And um, it was really impactful to to hear his voice for the first time and hear his music. And that song that we play in the film, you know, it really speaks to me because it's about wandering and not knowing where you're going. And we talked about, and not knowing where your home is. And that was very much, that's very much been my life.
0: Can we get that song? Because it's (laughs) been in my head.
1: ever since i watched your film now two times and it's a tom paxton song so um yeah he's the folk singer and it's my dad's version of it that my mom happened to record in a coffee shop like she was a little groupie you know when they were
0: dating and and had a recording what's your husband like i wonder you're such a badass (laughs) i want to know what he's like i mean is he just like an ultra badass He's
1: pretty badass. Yeah. Um he's a full-time firefighter. He's a mountain biker, two-time single speed 24-hour world champion. He owns a, another dog business, Invisible Fence dog business. I mean, yeah, he's 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 way better than I am at any of this stuff, but he's just the strong silent type, so.
0: Wow. I just know. asked this because I have so many girlfriends that are like amazing. One is like sailing in Tahiti, another one is just a pro surfer, but they have a hard time getting guys, and they're gorgeous. And you've just landed this gem of a man, it sounds I like. I think what's really special about Greg is that he
1: he lets me be me and go do all this stuff and, you know, understands that it's part of my job. And, yeah, sometimes I'm all over the place. Um but we've created a really cool home in Idaho and and we can do all this stuff together. So, you know, we raced together in Iceland last year as teammates and cool. he was faster than me and I was struggling to keep up. So I think it's great. One that we have our own, you know, our own separate things, you know, he's a lot more into the fire department and then that we can also come together and, you know, and, and do things together.
0: So one of the things I read about your, in your bio, I know you do motivational speaking, you have a book, you have so much going on. But I read that you riverboarded down the Grand Canyon. (laughs) So I've been riverboarding. It's like a boogie board, right? Yeah, it's a boogie board. So you did a first ascent river, er and it was stealth, I've heard. Um, We had a
1: permit. Julie Munger, who went with me, uh, had applied... it took her 10 years to get the permit because technically it's illegal to swim the Grand Canyon. And she had to go to like to the head of the park service and do a presentation and actually prove that a riverboard, a rescue river board is classified as an official vessel. And so she had to prove that we weren't swimming the Grand Canyon.
0: So a river board is
1: basically a boogie board. It's a big boogie board with handles on it that, you know, is used for river rescue in a, in a lot of situations. And so, yeah, it took her 10 years to get the permit. Um, they issued the permit for uh, December, which I think they did because they thought maybe we wouldn't go because it was so cold. So oh, not only, yeah, did we did we riverboard the entire length of the Grand Canyon, Um, we did it in winter, unsupported. Wow. Is it so- was one of the, like, gnarliest expeditions of my life. And I wasn't really very good at whitewater at that point. Wait, so do you wear fins? Like, how does this yeah, work? Yeah, so we're wearing two double dry suits, tons of clothes. The water was like 40 degrees. Um, and you're in the water for six, seven hours a day. And yeah, you have fins on your feet. Um, we were pulling other boards behind us with our gear, um, for the flats. And then in the, the rapids, we'd have to like shuttle, you know, like our sleeping bags and all that stuff, you know, we had to pull those behind us.
0: How long did it take you?
1: Um gosh, I'm trying to remember. It was a while ago. It's there's a really fun documentary called Three Women 300 Miles. Julie uh Kelly Kalafatic, who was with us was also documenting. It was a uh, like and filming and doing all that at the same time and you can, you can get online. It's really fun. Um but it took us I I want to say 21 days somewhere around there 21 days yeah so you had to where do you get food like we were carrying like we had all this dehydrated food all this stuff julie had was a grand canyon river guide so the year before she had cached some ammo boxes of food so we would get to these like and she'd made a little buried treasure map so um we had food caches and then you get to Phantom Ranch at one point. Like Wait, whole, a
0: food cache is like a buried box of food. Of like
1: dehydrated stuff. And she put a couple flasks of whiskey in some of them. Awesome. And you know, but yeah, it was like, yeah, food dehydrated. I mean, we didn't eat that well, definitely. Do you just so. come you must have been like 30 pounds skinnier? I lost we I lost a bunch of weight. We both we all because you're so cold yeah. and you you know, buns of steel with the flippers, you're like
0: flipping your feet all day. You do have um, buns of steel. That's pretty badass.
1: I, no, I was I was I was pretty fit. And yeah, we were pretty lean and hungry by the end of
0: it. That is so nuts. So how does everything stay, I mean dry bags? Just keep them dry? Dry bags, dry bags, dry bags,
1: yeah. Triple dry bags. We're repairing our dry suits every night with like seam seal because it's, you know, that long on the river, things start to rub and wear out and
0: And how did you not get like rashes from being wet all day long?
1: what we do is we take a break in the middle of the day and take all our wet stuff off and just be in like shorts and a t-shirt and go hike and explore the side canyons or lay out in the sun. And like when the sun was up, we'd like lizard out a little bit and dry everything. And then at night we'd make campfires and string all our stuff up and try to dry it out. But yeah, it was like management of the cold and wet gear
0: was, was a big part of it. How old were you when you did your first like crazy race like this or adventure race?
1: You know, probably um, rock climbing was really sort of my first kind of outdoor and expedition stuff. I was living in Chicago, um, learned to rock climb there at an indoor wall, like before indoor walls or anything. This was in the 90s. And I just fell in love with rock climbing and being outside. It was like that kid who was camping in the backyard. This was like me being able to be the dirty little kid and not take a shower and, and play outside on the rocks, and that was the adult version of it for me. So I really fell in love with rock climbing. So that was really my first adventure sport per se. And and I left Chicago pretty quickly. Spent three months on the road in in a car, and you know, then ended up climbing El Cap and doing some big walls. And Do you have like a first female
0: ascent of El Cap. Yeah, I have a couple little things, yeah, a badass. couple little
1: climbing ascents, and some solo climbs. And holy cow! So climbing was really the first real outdoor adventure sport that grabbed me that like need to explore. And everyone's like, oh, you've done so many sports, you know, why don't you just stick with one? And, but they're all the same in a way. They're all feeding this need for me to see what's around the next corner or at the top of the cliff or down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. They're all the explorer in me. And the, the sport is just the vehicle for it. And right now cycling is really, the vehicle for it for me, because it's such a great way to travel on two wheels and to see the world. And like, especially in Laos and Cambodia, a bike is a universally understood mode of transport. You know, there's more bikes in Southeast Asia than there are cars. And so you come into a place as a traveler on a bike. And I just think there's this instant like, oh, you're traveling. Come on in. Do you need some food? Can we help you? And I've
0: really found that on the bike, which is great. That's so cool. What's your self talk when you get scared, and this something
1: people kind of figure that I don't get scared or insecure or down on myself anymore, and uh that's couldn't be further from the truth that we're all human in our own self doubt and you know I do talk to myself um <laughs> and like, come on, I Rebecca, do. you can do this, and I have a few little mantras, but really I find what brings me out of a hole if I'm not confident and I'm not sort of feeling at my best is my community and getting together with my friends and whether it's calling up a girlfriend and being like, I really need to go on a bike ride. Will you come with me or my husband? And I'm alone. I, you know, I do so much stuff alone that I feel like when I really can't handle it and prop myself up on my own, that's right. I have to be big about reaching out and saying, Hey, I need some help. Please, somebody come hang out with me. And it always works, you know, like totally. a ride this morning, you know, we went with my friend Aaron and, you know, then I can show up to this podcast, just a better, a better version of me. Whereas this morning I, I could have stayed in my hotel room and, and worked for another couple hours and that wouldn't have been the right decision. No, well, thanks for coming to the podcast. Oh, um, well, I was like, I haven't prepared for my speech a little bit later. And I'm like, you know what? You'll be, I'll go on a mountain bike ride. This
0: is exactly what you're preparing now. So, so have you surfed? I've tried surfing once
1: when I lived in California. Um, and I love the idea of surfing, but I didn't have a good first experience because it was a crowded place and people were yelling at me and like, it just wasn't this welcoming, like, you know, and when you're new at something, you're intimidated anyway. And so it was a pretty intimidating atmosphere. So as much as I I feel like if I want to learn to surf, I need to go to like Mexico or go to so- Costa, Costa Rica, Rica or yeah, go somewhere that's not, you know, Southern California where there's limited space and a lot of people.
0: Well, I teach surfing. Okay. I've taught 80 year olds to surf, fat people to surf, dogs, <laughs> everything. So when you're ready. I want to teach my dogs and to I, surf. I'm inappropriate. I That's yell perfect. like inappropriate things like wiener when people can't catch waves, and it works every time.
1: I would love. It's one thing I, you know, I do love the water, and I did a lot of outrigger canoeing, um, and so I, I really like waves, and I like that
0: feeling. You would be amazing. <laughs> I have no doubt. If if you know, we ask all of our guests this, but if you could go back. And tell your younger, like 15-year-old self, that's such a vulnerable time, especially for young women, they're sophomores in high school. If you could go back and tell her one thing, one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her
1: she's so much better than she thinks she is. Aww. Uh, yeah, that y- you are a rock star. And Do- we don't, I still tell myself that. <laughs>
0: You're a rock star, for sure. What, what were you doing at 15? I was
1: running um track and cross country in high school. And cross country running was my first real sport and where I really developed friends who were doing sports and confidence and, you know, you know, this structure of training. That was I'm so thankful that I found sports in high school. And it's why I do I try to get a lot of girls on mountain bikes or into athletics because I do believe it's the one thing, like you said, it's a really impressionable time in your life. And and at any age I feel like is the one thing that really is such a great health and wellness, physical and mental imperative for all of us. I think it's crucial for everybody, but especially at that age and you know, where you're trying to figure out what am I going to be when I grow up. For sure. Um, find a sport and a lot of those answers come when you're out running around or on a bike or surfing.
0: I find more answers outside than I ever do with a pen and paper in my head sometimes. Me too. <laughs> it's crazy. Is there a book that you love or gift or has shaped you or that you just love reading? Oh, there's so many. Let me... Or ones that have been given to you or...
1: Um. I mean, early on, The Giving Tree... Um, oh,
0: Shel Silverstein,
1: that's yeah. the best book. <laughs> that's a pretty special that's one. That's a
0: really appropriate book for you right now. Well,
1: and when I came home, yeah, it was one I loved as a kid. And then when I came home from this trip, this Blood Road trip, and it was like, oh, the giving tree. And I feel that's like I'm so giving. Cool. And Yeah, the tree is a big theme in the movie for those of you who who will see it.
0: You have to see this movie. For those of you listening to the podcast, now you got to go see this movie. It is so good. Okay, last last quick question is, you know, If you could fly a plane that's eco-friendly, of course, across the world and it had one message to the world, what would it say? To forgive and accept each other. That's awesome. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your wild ideas. You rocked it. Thanks for having me. You. (laughs) Let's go surfing. We're going surfing for (laughs) sure. What an incredible woman. If you loved this podcast, you will absolutely love the film. Bloodroadfilm.com. You can actually buy it right now. You can also go to Rebecca's own website, RebeccaRush.com. You can check out the film there. You can go to a screening still right now as well. Thank you again for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. If you love this podcast and you want more, We are a labor of love, so tell your friends that's what keeps this podcast growing. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Thanks again to Rebecca. Thanks to the OutFound series for introducing us and to Laura Bodmer for making this happen. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, don't forget some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We have some awesome guests coming up. We have Cyrus Sutton. We have Grant Trebelka of One Wave is All It Takes and so much more. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.